8. An 8. Chris, the topic that your die roll has determined we will discuss in today's episode is when do you look up rules? Ooh, never. Never is there. <laughs> uh, I have to say, I've looked at this table of topics a lot, and I feel like I've never seen that before. Like, did you just, <laughs> did you just add that? Maybe. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Roll for Topic, a roundtable discussion about topics related to running tabletop games. My name is Chris Salzman. And I'm Andy Rao. Yeah, and we have just rolled on our table of topics and that's what we'll discuss in just a minute. But before we get into that, so Andy, it's been a little bit since we've talked. I, I want to know, have you run any games lately? I ran uh, one game and one other game for my daughter and her friends. Okay. Yep. Yeah. How, how has that been going? Good. Yeah, so far so good. It looks like we got a pretty good group. As I told you... Mm -hmm. You don't have a, a sort of a goal this year to get that campaign running smoothly enough over the course of 2020 that I can hand it off to one of them to run. I feel pretty good about that. Have you been have you been trying to figure out like which one's going to be the best GM? Oh, it's it's hard to say who would be the best. I I think it's shaping up to be pretty obvious who is going to be the one who's most interested in doing it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's often the the real thing that you need. It's not yeah, who's going to be the best. It's who's going to be the most invested. Yep. Yeah, so I am changing jobs pretty soon, and that okay. means that I'm I'm ending my weekly game that I've been running for like almost two years, I yeah. think now, maybe a year and a half or so. Um, yeah, so it, the the job change happened a little suddenly. Like I knew it was coming, you know, like when it became official, it was like, oh geez, I have to stop this game. I have to like get you know set up for the new job and all that. Yep. Um, yeah, so sometime soon I'll be running kind of a final wrap up game for that, maybe a session or two. Um, just so we can have a little bit of closure that's not just like, well, the GM's gone, so <laughs> we're all done. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is, I think, typically how most games end. Uh, but yeah, so that should be good. And they're, they're actually a, kind of a good story point, but I'm feeling a little like bittersweet about that. But so last weekend, I met up with some of my college friends, including Kyle Latino, who's been a guest on this this here podcast a couple times as well. I mean, we ended up playing D&D. &D. I think everybody had played before or they'd played games that are similar to D and D, um, but I ended up running it like a totally improv game. Um, wow. Yeah, so I gave them their character sheets and stuff, and I told them I was going to like take fifteen minutes and you know come up with some sort of scenario, and then we we play through that. And I was like, yeah. you know what? No, let's just wing it. Let's let's just kind of see what happens. <laughs> um, and it went pretty well. Yeah. Okay. Like all things considered, so I have a couple things I want to talk about with that, <laughs> and we'll Please. we'll get to the topic eventually. I swear, <laughs> but we haven't gotten a chance to talk. So uh, the the first thing I did was you know so got them the character sheets. We went over some like basic rules and stuff, um, and then I asked them like a couple questions about what sort of game they wanted to play, including one one question that I think I'm going to just start asking all the time, which is just sort of like what, what sort of threat level do you want? Like how, mm. how clear and present do you want death to be mm -hmm. in, in the game? Um, yeah. And they gave me an answer back of like, we will please have consequences, but you know, also don't kill us. immediately, <laughs> Right. Yeah. And then I asked them sort of like what they wanted to do between combat and role playing and stuff, which just, so that helped really calibrate stuff, which I thought was a, a good way to approach yeah. something like this. And then, while they were doing character creation, I was just sort of listening for anything that could end up being a story hook. Um, so one of the characters decided he was part of, he had tried to join a gang at one point and it didn't go well. And he was, okay. he was kind of kicked out of the gang. So I was like, great, I have a gang. <laughs> okay. So I can, I can work with that. 
Um, so we decided to start in the tavern. Everything was going well until the, the gang showed up to, you know, shake down oh, someone perfect. else. Yeah. So uh, from there, things kind of kicked off. That's a that's a pretty impressively short, like, start of game to, like, coming at the players with their own backstories, like, yes. ratio right there. That's pretty yeah. impressive. That's <laughs> well, it was like we have a game mastery right there. <laughs> I think someone on this podcast at one point told me to just steal ideas from the players as they're talking. And I was oh, like, yeah. that's a, yeah, I should just do that, right? So if someone mentions something, like, great, now you have a noun to work with. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, so, like, they, you know, they chased off the gang and stuff, and then from there, um, I don't know where this came from, but I decided that the gang had hit, like, five different bars all at the same time in, in one night. So they were at one bar, and then it, it came up the next day when, um, you know, the investigator and stuff showed up that, you know, it was five other bars that had been hit. So Kyle, who was playing, right, he's an artist, so I just had him draw a city block of the city. Oh, my goodness. And I'll share the photo with you later. Like, he, he kind of went overboard <laughs> as he was sketching course, yes. and stuff. Um, but then what we did was just we just kind of picked locations for the different bars, and then they just, from there, hopped around and started asking questions of the different barkeeps. Um, so I had this, like, fun GM time where I got to come up with four different bars on the spot Ooh. with, like barkeeps and like you know like all that stuff yeah but that ended up actually being really fun i mean i think that's i would suggest if you're a gm who traditionally runs stuff by the book try to do a session like this sometime because i think you'll surprise yourself um right like when you don't have the guardrails of looking stuff up in a book it's pretty impressive sort of like what can emerge at the table so it's yeah. like because it has to right otherwise you're you don't have a game <laughs> so was this an experience you anticipate doing more of or was it like just a one-time thing you're glad you did but back to the usual i think i want to do more of it it was it was pretty fun i was writing a lot of story checks i don't know if i could have cashed later on <laughs> But I mean, that's part sure, of the fun, yeah. right? Is you're just like, you're introducing stuff and sort of see what happens with it, right? And like, the reality is it's a, it was a safe group to play a sort of, this sort of game with because they're going to back me up and they won't really care if it if it blows up in their face because they also want to do silly voices and stuff. So, but I thought I'd just, you know, share that on the podcast. It was really fun. It was a very different GMing experience for me, um, but I pretty enjoyable, all, all told. Hey, that's fantastic. Yeah, I'm. that's kind of inspiring. I'd like to... Uh, yeah. I, I need to try and do that. Uh, Have you... You've never really done that before? Never done a full uh, improv? I've, I've run some campaigns that were pretty close to full improv, mm -hmm. but it wasn't a deliberate... It wasn't a deliberate choice to run an improv game. I didn't advertise it as an improv game. It was... It would have been situations where I was... Just didn't have time to prepare or something changed at the last minute about what we wanted to do that I just had to roll with it. Well, I'm glad you had that experience, and I have a feeling we'll be talking about that more uh, in, you know, in future episodes. Uh, <laughs> Probably. Because, you know, improv skills are so useful to GMing, even if you're not running an, an actual improv game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we we have a ton of topics on the table right now about NPCs and stuff, so I'm not going to snipe any of those um, you know, too much, but we've been talking kind of Internally, like we have a chat that, you know, some of the previous guests and stuff are on, yeah. but we've been talking about NPCs and, you know, how do you, how do you create them, you know, and all, all that sort of stuff. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think the, the more that I do this, the more I feel like if you can kind of just create a couple of good NPCs and then it's just a lot easier, right? Everything can, can flow from there. But yeah, but to our topic at hand about looking up rules. So playing that game, I didn't touch the player's handbook, I think at all until they leveled up. Right. It was just sort of <laughs> off the cuff. And did they level up mid game? 
I had them level up once, basically right after the first sort of encounter. We just did milestone XP. Sure. You know? yeah, yeah, because it was just like you know they're level one. You can't really do much. You know, one of the players almost died because of some lucky rolls, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, but like, you know, so they leveled up and so we looked up stuff there and my, my intent was to be pretty aggressive with it because we were only going to be there for, you know, a weekend playing. So it didn't yeah. really matter, you know, long term. Well, uh, so follow up to that question and I guess, did it work? And what did you lose by with when you weren't looking up rules? Mm, I think it worked um, partly because I have a pretty good feel of the sort of game that I want to run um, when, when I sit down at the table. I think what I lost and what the players might have lost is it wasn't very like D and D E right. Like when you don't look up rules, I think you end up sort of making up your own and your sort of game ends up being this amalgamation of all the different rule sets you've read. Mm -hmm. Right. And and all the decisions you've made, all the little homebrew stuff that, that you want to do, which is totally fine. But I think if you don't, look up the rules you're not referring back to them you can lose some of that element of like oh well actually there's all this cool stuff mechanically that you're not touching or wow you didn't actually go in a dungeon but you guys played for four hours is it really D at that point yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. what about you I guess, do you look up rules pretty often or you, you feel like you have them down and you don't touch them i really don't look up rules very often in the sense that i find myself stuck at the table not sure how to resolve a situation mechanically mm-hmm. and that is because i run D and not recently but you know i've run a lot of call of cthulhu and those are just kind of classic game systems that everybody knows D and is the d20 roll high and cthulhu is a percentile system both really intuitive and both of those systems throughout their editions have the virtue of just having a really simple resolution mechanic for almost anything Mm-hmm. Uh, whether you're trying to talk your way past a guard or, you know, swing and hit an orc with your axe, you're rolling a d20 and you're adding relevant numbers from your character sheet. And that means that there's very few situations that, you know, I and or anyone else who's run even just a couple of games can't just quickly make a, a reasonably uh, correct uh, guess about how to resolve the situation. Uh, that's, I don't, generally play games that have either really convoluted rules mechanics or that consist of lots of separate mechanical subsystems i know those games do exist and some of them are really cool and i'm not saying those are bad games but it certainly is easy to just say yeah that i don't remember what what the you know magic item identification process is but you know roll a d20 and if you get a 15 or higher you succeed you know it's nice being able to say that. Yeah, the, uh, the GURPS players are screaming. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah. yeah, now, that said, and I realize I've been sort of monologuing here for a bit. Uh, so there is a situation in which I do have to look up rules quite a bit. But it is anytime, anytime someone at the table is is calling on a power, a spell usually, or a maneuver that kind of breaks the rules in some way. And that's pretty much any spell, uh, basically. Those, except for the super common ones that I have internalized, I would have to look up, you know, what's the range of that spell? You know, what, you know, what is the damage? You know, what are the effects of the spell? Those I try to get away from doing that by either writing those up on cards for players or, you know, giving the players the responsibility for it. Yeah, looking up spells is kind of the key to this, right? Like, this is where unless you have all that internalized, I think exactly what you're saying. Like 
it's hard to know. <laughs> right. So you can, you can trust your players to tell you the truth, but oftentimes what I've found is like, well, you know, they need to know too, right? Is it a D8? Is it a D10? Yep. Those sorts of things, you know, like how long does the effect last? Can I actually do this? You know, especially when they're, they're going to do something that's going to like really fly in the face of what, what kind of the story is, is doing. Do you find, I think the subset of this question is, do your players look up rules? Do you find that that happens a lot? Like they're, they're grabbing the rule book to see if they can do something or they always, do your players generally ask you? Good question. The groups I've played with in the last couple of years have not been rules looker uppers. Um, but I definitely would say that it is pretty typical in the games I have played in, in particular in the past, that when players are waiting for their turn, they are often flipping through the rules, you know, just maybe looking up spell or ability effects, just strategizing for when their turn rolls around again. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it is a thing. I think I think yeah, I've been at plenty of games where one or two copies of the player's handbook or whatever are just sort of circulating around. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, I've, I, I typically have. It seems like there's always like one player who actually just knows the rules way better than I do. Yeah. <laughs> like when it comes down to it, right? For, for whatever reason, and usually that's not an antagonistic thing. It can be very helpful because it's like, well, I actually don't know. Like, what do the rules say about this? Because if I invent something, I might be you know totally wrong, and you've tuned your character around that that idea. Yeah. So like, I treat the rules as sort of like a, a guideline we can fall back on, but it's also okay to kind of break them break them for fun yeah um for fun purposes yeah it's like i don't like bogging down stuff at the table looking up the rules because to me that's not the fun part about playing playing those games but i mean i think you do have to understand them somewhat but like every time i read the player's handbook i always find like 10 things that i'm doing wrong yes there's a sense uh there's a sense in which i i wonder sometimes about the way D rules are written it seems really really common you know for gms to run on like maybe 75 percent mastery and understanding of the rules and 20 percent winging the details yeah and that is such a common way to run games i often wonder why the rule books go into all those details in the first place if almost everybody is going to kind of wing it or just kind of adapt it on the fly to what the mm-hmm. needs of the table are. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I've, I've thought about that a lot too. And especially in contrast with some indie games, like the like one-page RPGs, those sorts of things that are are super compelling games and really fun and you can play them and like all the rules are on one page. Like why, what, like what do we gain by having three separate books, you know, D and D plus supplements and, mm-hmm. and all that. I think part of it is just like the, it's appeals to this idea of, of sort of like hidden knowledge, right? Like yeah. you're going to go to a library and, and get this book and it's going to have all these answers for you. Yeah. Right. And it turns out it's like, well, the answers are, you know, roll your D 20. And if you don't meet a certain number, then you've failed, but just said in a hundred different ways. Yeah. And I think there's arguments to be made that like, maybe those books aren't put together very well and, you know, you can kind of go back and forth, but I mean, I think it's just like, it, it's sort of the original reason the books were the the guides were written right is to to answer common questions that come up so i I would like to think in a purest sense that those books are all written because it's just a series of questions that needed to be answered that kept coming up right like i think the reality is more like oh well we just got to think of everything just in case you know someone wants to try it and then they don't have to make up the rule on the spot that we just have something sort of written for them yeah 
I think in the last couple of years, or maybe the last decade, I think one of the interesting trends I've seen, especially maybe in indie space, but it certainly has bled into some mainstream games as well, is a tendency towards writing games that don't really cover much more than you actually use in play, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That uh, And this results in games with maybe uh, narrowed down focuses of the things that you're kind of allowed or supposed to be doing in play. And I'm thinking of games like Apocalypse World or other games that really kind of regiment what you what you're what you do during your during your turn Mm -hmm. but they do have the sense of like every page in this rule book was written to be used at the table there's no like there's no big section that just never comes up if that makes sense yeah yeah those moves i mean i think that's that's such a compelling way of approaching it like you're telling the story and then these moves kind of help you guide thematically yeah what the story is going to be right like there's just you know hundreds of different games can, that can sp- spin out from that all sort of based around like oh wouldn't it be interesting if like uh like hug your friend was one of the moves right like yeah. you know that that really puts a theme on the story that yeah. um you know 200 pages of like water combat rules don't years ago I, at gen con one of the first times that i started thinking along these lines is when i played in a game of the hero system at gen con mm-hmm. i don't know if you're familiar with hero but it's a very venerable uh role-playing system it's one of these big universal kind of generic systems like gurps I mean, I'm sure there are more rules intense games out there, but it's it's up there. Uh, it's <laughs> real big, uh, and it's got a lot of rules. Like it's this is a game where you don't just determine how fast you move on a ter- when it's your turn, but you determine like how fast you are accelerating as you start walking or running, so that at the end of your turn you're moving at a higher speed than you were at the beginning of your turn, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, so just to give you a sense of what kind of detail the game goes in. So this was this was many years ago, and I was playing in this game because I wanted to see what Hero was like, what the newest edition at the time was like. And it was a great game, but it was run like something very close to like sort of freeform. It was just sort of... We had these incredibly complicated IRS document-looking character sheets in front of us. And the GM didn't call on those rule, you know, on that stuff much at all. And we had huh. a great time, but I left with the strangest sense that, like, I, I just left unsure what to do with that experience. And I think that's maybe like a kind of exaggerated version of what happens in a lot of games where, you know, D&D is like hundreds of pages and there's a lot of rules in there. But most of our games tend to be much more free-flowing than that. Uh, it makes me wonder, so if you're going to play you know heroes it sounds like there's there's too much happening to where you wouldn't be able like you you have to reference the rules if that makes sense like mm-hmm. there would be no way to really play a, a round or you know combat in that game without going back to the rules constantly and be like okay so i've done done this step now i gotta go to this step you know like down the line like that yeah until you've played it a lot and then it probably feels amazing right playing that game if you have a group of people that all really understand the rules because it's like oh cool like we have this really fine-grained control over everything that's happening yep um as it's moving through i think you're absolutely right yeah i would imagine the arguments that happen at (laughs) at those tables (laughs) are pretty vicious yes just cynically speaking i mean because i think that's where a lot of arguments end up happening is when you start to interface with the rules everybody's totally happy 
talking and like you know talking to npcs and talking with each other and all that and then as soon as you kind of hit the complexity of the rules that's where i think a lot of fun can be had but also a lot of conflict just at the table gets introduced too <laughs> absolutely so here's a weird question for you chris mm-hmm. why is it satisfying to have rules for stuff why is it satisfying to turn to the player's handbook and be mm-hmm. able to find out exactly how much damage the fireball does why is that mm-hmm. more satisfying than just making something up or just having a, a set number that all damage spells do you know i think it's the gambling aspect honestly like when it comes down to a dice roll like it's just really fun to sort of see what's going to happen yeah. right like it's totally removed you've made a decision and now you're going to kind of see what the result is yeah you know, and if it was a foregone conclusion, right, like like Magic Missile's a great spell in D&D because it just hits and then you just kind of roll your damage. Yeah. But it's also, like, surprising that it just hits, right? Yes. And everybody's like, oh, it just hits? It uh, feels uh, weird. Every time someone uses Magic Missile, everyone has to kind of remind themselves, oh, yeah, you don't have to yeah. roll for this. Yeah, it just hits. And it, it, like, I mean, part of you is like, well, why doesn't other stuff just hit, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's all of that too. But I mean, I think there's just something really fun about like, I could roll this dice and it could be a total whiff and meaningless, or it could be, you know, the thing that wins the game. Right. And like, if the more of those chances you get, you know, that can be really fun. Yeah. So, I mean, like it appeals to our base instinct of, of kind of like that gambling, mm-hmm. that gambling aspect. But I've also had a lot of fun with games where you don't have any dice involved. Right. And you're just telling a story or whatever. I mean, I think it's just, it's kind of built into the system. Yeah. Um, when you're playing the yeah kind of d20 style games do you find since you've played with a lot of new players or newish players over the last few years do you find that the rules are a problem for people or not at all are they a draw to people it's somewhat of a draw i I play with a lot of new people but most of them are academic in nature Hmm. like you know a lot of them have a higher education and stuff. So they can kind of, they can look at a complicated spreadsheet, which is what the character sheet is, yeah. <laughs> you know, and be able to parse all that information. And they, they like reading books and flipping through stuff. So I think it's a bit of a draw, but it's also a drag too. like, it, it, no one really understands like, okay, when they sit down at the table, like if they've heard about D and D, all they know is it's complicated, right? Yeah. Or like there's just a lot of rules or whatever. So the first thing that I tell them is like it's not complicated. <laughs> like you know, like you're you're kind of talking down the complication because then, you know, reality is like once they kind of get into the rhythm of rolling dice and stuff, it's okay. Um one thing that I found interesting this past weekend, so when we were looking at playing D and D, I was flipping through the Band of Blades book mm, um, yep. before and I was really excited. I was like, oh, maybe I'll just run Band of Blades instead. And that's a rule book where you pick it up and it it begs of you to read it cover to cover. Yes. You have no chance whatsoever yes. winging that. Like, yes. good luck, right? Yeah. And it's bigger than the, the um, Blades in the Dark book, too. Yep. So even though I feel like I understand the core mechanic of Blades in the Dark, like, just not a chance, right? Like, I took, like, about an hour. I was flipping through it, like, kind of reading stuff. I'm like, we can't play this. Like, yeah. <laughs> I need, yeah, for I need sure. a week. To prepare. So have you ever had that experience where rules are just a detriment to you even trying a game or you start looking them up and you're like, you know what, we should just play something else? Yes. There's a lot of games I don't play with the players who are currently kind of in my social circles that I would like to play because their rules are too much. They're, they're too different than D&D or they're just kind of complicated and... 
you know, like I would love to run a game of Exalted, one, you know, sometime. But to do that, I would need to find people that were okay with with lots of rules, and you know, every fight and every combat situation would require like the book out on the table. I think you know, uh, referencing yeah. it, and that that doesn't intimidate me personally. But if I know that that's going to be a drag for you know a good chunk of the people at the table kind of takes it off my list of things to play, which is a little bit of a bummer, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, That said, and there's lots of ways if I really wanted to, I could easily find an online game of some of these things. But uh, yeah, certainly I've been intimidated away from running games by the rules. There's a lot of games that I have really fond memories of from when I was a kid, like Rollmaster is a big one. Mm -hmm. It's a reputation for being like pretty rules intense. And it is. It's, uh, It's too much. I couldn't run it. You know, I don't really have any desire to run that level of a detailed uh, rules system at this point in, in my life. I can't say that there are too many games out there that are so complicated that I personally would not like to play or run them. It's usually mm-hmm. more of like a judgment about if I am realistically the only one at the table who is likely to enjoy this, I should pick something else. Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. Well, you heard it here first, folks. If you want to play Exalted, hit Andy. That's right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I'm going to need about six months to read the rule book first. It's kind of big. Yeah. <laughs> um, we should wrap up pretty soon. I think we both got to get going. Um, <laughs> one, one final thing I, I just wanted to admit, because this is a safe space, is I, I own the Dungeon Master's Guide. I don't think I've read read more than a chapter oh, of the dungeon goodness. master's guide chris this is one of this is one of my things like okay we need there needs to be an anonymous poll for game masters out there have you read the dungeon master's guide because it, it yeah while we're confessing things i have yeah. not read the dungeon <laughs> master's guide yeah. ever in any edition and i have all of the editions and <laughs> i mean i have a occasionally like once every five years i will look in the dungeon master's guide for something specific to use in the game but that is the extent of my dungeon master's guide use so (laughs) that's great well i'm glad i'm glad i'm not alone (laughs) shame i bet it's a lot of i bet it's a lot of people i mean it dnd is a weird game because that player's handbook it, it this wasn't always the case but the recent additions you know with that player's handbook is almost everything you need to run it with that player's handbook and then some monsters you downloaded off the web you're good to go um but and so the dungeon master's guide i think like in principle it has a purpose for existing but it also is like a weird thing that is way more optional than you would guess you know yes yeah yeah i mean the way it's sort of pitched is it it feels like you should like the the dm should have that guide and the players should have that guide right and they somehow mesh yep. like you're not allowed to read that one and they're not allowed to read yeah. this one and that's how first edition worked it was more like that but it hasn't been the case in a long time hmm. yeah i guess the the sub another subset of this question is right like what entire books do you ignore <laughs> in your game of choice <laughs> yes. yeah that's a good that's a good uh, question for the, t- the table of topics right there what's the most critical game book that you just refuse to use <laughs> Okay, well, before we wrap up, I do have a one real fast question. I know we both got to run here, but uh, yeah, yeah, um, it's kind of con season is on the horizon, and I've been getting a lot of emails from like game companies saying, "Hey, there's still time to volunteer to, you know, run a bunch of games for us at Gen Con or whatnot." And uh, I'm just curious if you have anything on your radar if if you're going to jump mm-hmm. into a, a con or, or multiple cons this this year. 
Um, well, I have a kid coming pretty soon, so that's going to make everything complicated, but for schedule stuff. Yeah. Um, but I am going to participate. The Annabur Library is doing another RPG fest yeah. coming up pretty yep, soon. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, so I'm going to run a couple games there. So probably some D and D, and then an unnamed, as of yet, <laughs> named um, like one page RPG. I think I'm leaning towards Lasers and Feelings, um, okay. which yep. which seems like a cool one. But yeah, are you going to be at that too? I am, yes. Oh, um, cool, great. Yeah, yeah. I told them I'd uh, run some games, and uh, I they gave me a deadline by which I have to tell them what actual games I'm running, and it's coming up fast, so I've got to <laughs> get that figured out. It probably won't be Exalted, but it's, yeah. <laughs> oh, please it, please run Exalted. I will drop out of running games and just <laughs> hang out and play Exalted. This is my homebrew combination of Hero, Rollmaster, and Exalted <laughs> for maximum realism. Yes, oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, other than that, I'm not planning on doing doing anything this year. Are, are you going to do anything else, or is it just just the RBG Fest? I think that when uh, my local West Michigan convention Grand Con rolls around, I mm-hmm. am uh, planning to run something. Um, every every year, I think, oh, next year I should run some games at Gen Con, and then every year when it comes time to register a game, I always think I, I don't really want to. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I'm up to it. So maybe yeah. one, maybe one day. Yeah. Yeah, one year. One year we'll get there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm starting with the small cut. Yeah, starting with this Ann Arbor very small yeah. event and then we'll we'll upgrade to a small con and then <laughs> ask in a year or two maybe we'll be up to the, the heavy hitting cons. Oh, that's great. Um all right, well we should wrap up. Yeah, thank you all so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Um yeah, it's super great. We're, you know, well into year two now and it's very exciting. Um we have a couple of guests lined up that we're both we're both pretty excited about actually. Oh yeah, we yeah, have it's... we have some fantastic guests who have at least in theory agreed to come on the show. So. <laughs> Nominally agreed, but yeah, I think they're going to. Um yeah, and I'm I'm really excited. Yeah. So hopefully you'll hear their voices pretty soon. But yeah, as always, if you have other guests that you have in mind um that you want us want to have on the show or you feel like would be good on the show, please let us know. Um we're always um soliciting new folks to come on and tell us how to actually run games. <laughs> it's helpful. Yeah, and in some... fact, Chris, uh, at least one of the exciting upcoming guests we have came about from a listener who basically said, yeah. this is a person you should have on your show. So, Yeah, um, which please, was really great. Please yeah. tweet that sort of thing at us. Yes, for sure. Um, yeah, well, I think that's about it. Um, I don't think we have any other housekeeping stuff, but I've been Chris Salzman. I have been Andy Rao. And remember, if your players are having fun, you're a great GM. 